right, guys. Well, if you would, grab your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 1. And uh, we're going to start in verse 20. I was thinking, um, I really wanted to pray, but I knew that those moms and dads were just like, "Eh, eh, eh, eh." and so I didn't want to jump in and launch into another prayer, but give them an opportunity to kind of get the kiddos moving. Um, But if y'all would just pray with me now as we get ready to read God's word. Father, would you remind us that we are children, that according to your word, we are needy, that we at best can put our arms up in the hopes that you are reaching down to us, that we need you for our spiritual nourishment, we need you for protection, we need you for provision. As we consider all of these little ones that were in front of us, may we not forget that still in this moment, we are at best children crying out to a very loving Father. Pray that you would attend to us as we dive into your word. Give us attention that is sharp and poignant. May your spirit be thick and full in this place, and may this be a time where Jesus' reign is known and seen and felt in this place, in our lives, and beyond. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, guys, so I, I was thinking about the days of having little children. I'm so glad not to have those days. I don't feel like in saying that I'm being called into another adoption or anything like that. I'm just saying it is really wonderful to not have diapers and to not have drivers. And that's where our family lives right now. And it feels like this wonderful little happy bubble. And I'm super excited about it. But I was remembering as, as I'm seeing all these little ones, just how rare sleep is. And how used to, you would wake up to that, ah, 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 ah. like as I make that noise, you feel like your blood pressure go up to that alarm clock. But now all of these parents have alarm clocks that they don't get to set. You can forget the AM, PM, it doesn't matter. In any, at any moment, a little alarm will sound. And what's fascinating about that is really that's what's happening in Proverbs 1.20 and following the passages that we're going to look at. And I was thinking, when in life, do you hear an alarm and, and get excited about it? When do you look forward to hearing an alarm? Now, I'm not going to crowdsource this, but I was struggling to come up with a time. The best that I could come up with was this picture. And it is, front, that isn't us, by the way. That's just random people. I did not get their permission. No copyright infringement there. This is what I think of when I think of an alarm that people are looking forward to. If you've ever been to the water park with your kids and they have one of those big buckets that sits on top, all that happens is it just keeps filling and filling and filling and filling and filling. And then in some, you hear a little bell and others, a little siren goes off. And after it's been filling up for 10, 15, 20 minutes, who knows exactly how long it is, that thing turns over and water covers the entire place. And the kids are running just to be absolutely abused by the weight of water while moms and dads are trying to take pictures, when do we look forward to hearing an alarm? Now, as I think of this, here's what I also realize. The kids at the water park that are playing, they get doused with this incredible amount of water, and then they immediately go on to the next thing. I'm going to hit the water slide. I'm going to hit the water pistol. I'm going to go to this thing. I'm going to go to the kiddie pool area. And then a certain amount of time begins going by, and they start looking back. 
Do you think the bucket's full yet? I don't want to miss it. I don't want to be on the slide when the bucket goes down. And it reminded me of the grace of God. It reminded me of how we gather together, hopefully, in a place like this to say, God, I need you every single day. But when we gather together as God's people, would you please overwhelm me with your goodness, with your grace, and with your spirit? And then I'll spend four, five, six, seven days doing life and all of these things just to come back and be filled up. And I think that is the hope of this passage. If you would, take a look at Proverbs 1. I'm going to read verses 20 through 22, and I'll go ahead and tell you when I read this, you're going to be like, well, where do I see tons of grace overflowing? You're not going to see it, not at first. Proverbs 1:20. wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. Here's what she says. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? It doesn't feel like a bunch of kids at a water park, does it? It doesn't. But what I want you to notice, look back, and and guys, if y'all can throw it up back behind me, look back at verse 20. I think sometimes when, when we think about God speaking, we refer to God as having a still, small voice, a whisper, a, a gentle leaning of the Spirit. But God in His Word makes it very clear, wisdom is not quiet. Wisdom goes to the trouble of crying aloud. It goes to the trouble of raising her voice. Jump to verse 21. Wisdom is not quiet. Wisdom goes to the head of noisy streets to cry out. And at the entrance of the city, she speaks. So all of this crying and voice raising and speaking comes down to three simple questions. And those are the questions that fall forward. How long, I I want you to just let these hit you. How long will you love being simple? Now that that term simple probably means naive. I think the question if we were to pose it in today's language would be something along the lines of how long are you going to be willfully ignorant? Now all of these questions, I just want you to know I wrestle with them too But I think what's happening here is the Bible is saying to the person in this room who knows the right thing to do or the right thing to say in a situation, a difficulty, or a decision, you know the right thing to do, you know the right thing to say, but you're delaying it. You're procrastinating it. You're being willfully ignorant, maybe even convincing yourself that this situation, this relationship, this decision is more complicated than it actually is. The second question that wisdom throws out is this. How long are you going to delight in scoffing? We we don't use the term a lot. To scoff would mean to mock someone, to disrespect. And and in this context, I think what's happening here is, is there anyone in this room, do you wrestle with some area in your life where you are knowingly and willfully walking away from God and his truth? You know better, you just aren't walking in it. You see the depth of these getting bigger as the questions go on. And then finally, this third question, are you going to hate knowledge? Hate in scripture is a massive word. And it's saying to those of us in this room, are you disregarding God or treating him like he's not important? 
This is a, a, a massive disobedience issue. And as I'm saying those things, if there's something in your heart, something in your soul, something in your mind that's firing, sort of a, uh, a cringeworthy thing, let me just say, there's one remedy for that, and that is repentance and trusting in Christ. But I, I, that is true. It is 100% true, and it is 100% of the gospel, but it is not 100% of the issue. And the reason it's not 100% of the issue is you're going to feel this way again because you've felt this way before. We struggle with this. Inside of us is something that wants to be simple, wants to be naive, that wants to mock, that wants to disregard, that wants to do life our own way. And what I really want to make sure all of us know tonight is how does this happen in the first place? How do I end up on a Sunday night, on Super Bowl Sunday, I showed up, right? Like, I'm being the good Christian. Give me the check. Give me the gold star. I'm here how is it that I'm here again and that same sin, that same brokenness, that same darkness is still pounding in my chest? Why? Ephesians 6 tells us this. For we, speaking of believers, do not wrestle against, and then there's a litany. Christians don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against cosmic powers. I mean, talk about a struggle. I mean, it's one thing if you're wrestling somebody in your own weight class, but God's word looks at us and he says, hey, Christian, you are going to wrestle with cosmic powers that are opposed to you, darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You are outmatched. That's what this is saying. You are wrestling a foe that is so big, it is way beyond you. And then Colossians 3 jumps in. And if Ephesians is saying, hey, you're going to wrestle, Colossians 3 says, you're not just going to wrestle, put to death, therefore, that which is earthly in you. So on the one hand, we're like, oh gosh, why am I still struggling with sin? Okay, it's going to be a struggle for the rest of your life. You do need to repent of that. We're going to talk about that. But what do I do when I'm frustrated that I'm always in this struggle? And the first thing the Bible says is you're going to wrestle. You're going to wrestle a foe that is bigger than you. And here's the expectation, put to death, therefore, that which is earthly inside of you. Sexual immorality, I'm going to read these slow so they can hook. Impurity, passion, evil desire, even the desire of evil, God's word says, kill that thing. Covetousness, which is idolatry. And as I'm looking at these things, here's what I realized. Wrestling is one of the most exhausting things you can do physically. I've got a bunch of friends, and a lot of us do different kind of workouts. Some folks are strength training. Some folks are cardio. Stokes is a huge Orange Theory guy, and he's always like throwing it in our face because he's really proud and arrogant, and you guys know that. It's not true. He's like the most humble person I know. But, but we all do different things. But I, I'll just tell you, wrestling is one of the, minute for minute, one of the most exhausting things you can do. And I don't think the Bible made a mistake in choosing that as the illustration. But we struggle because it's exhausting. But that, I don't think, is the only reason or even the main reason. I can struggle with something if I'm going to get a trophy at the end. I, I can struggle with something if somebody's going to give me a pat on the back, a sticker on my helmet, or, or a tap on the rear end after I struggle. But here's what we find in the Christian life. It's going to be wrestling to the point of having to put things to death, and you're going to be exhausted, and you're not going to get to see the trophy right now. You're not going to get to get the gold star, the blue ribbon, or anything like that right now. And I think that's what makes sin so difficult. I think that's what makes the fight so complicated. 
Because every single time that these three questions are true of me, every time I'm willfully ignorant, every time I disregard God, every time I knowingly walk away from him, it's because I am tuning him out. I'm choosing to. I'm too exhausted. I'm too overwhelmed. I just can't anymore. And if you feel like you're sitting in this room and you're a Christian and you've been fighting that sin for so, so long, or you're a a non-believer and you're like, how am I even supposed to make sense of this? Here is my hope. And here's what I know. 1 Corinthians 10. Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That's kind of a wake up. Just because you're doing well on Tuesday doesn't mean you're going to be doing great on Thursday. This is wrestling. It's round after round, match after match. Verse 13 No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. If you're in this room, there are people in this room that are struggling with the thing you're struggling with. You're told that it isn't, but it is true. But this is what I knew. I knew this. I know this. Every time I tune God out, God is faithful. Guarantee promise. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. I knew this. Every time I tuned God out, I still knew this to be true. That with the temptation, he would provide a way of escape. That I would be able to endure it. And when I take all of this, what I find is, when a difficulty or a decision is present, there is always a godly option. Now, we don't always believe that. We don't even always tell ourselves that. But it is 100% true. When a difficulty or a decision is present, there is always a godly option. Now here's what I know. There's a, piece of, there's a piece of your brain, there's a piece of your soul that can look at this and say yes and amen, that is good and that is scriptural. I know that there, most of you in this room are gonna look at that and say yes and okay. And then there's a piece of your brain that says then why? How come? What about? And you have all these fill in the blanks because you're thinking about a decision right now. You're thinking about a difficulty that you're in right now. And you're saying, Will, you're telling me that wisdom screams out. That it doesn't want to be missed. You're telling me that God has promised that there is always a godly option. Then why can't I find it? Um. Recently, I got a new pair of headphones. They're the the nice ones, uh, the Apple AirPods, and they're the pros. You've got the silicone, you put them in, and you long press, and it goes into noise-canceling mode. Any of you fortunate in here, you know what I'm talking about? No? Okay, I'm talking to three people here. All right, well, Brett's got some, so the rest of you, all right, whatever. This is what amazed me. I typically put in my headphones when my kids are around. All right, you can shame me for that later. It's usually because I'm trying to write or study or send an email or something like this. And I'm like, I really want to be a good dad. I really want to be a good husband. I really want to be a good pastor. I can typically do good at two of those things at any one time. So I'm going to put in my earbuds and I'm going to focus on the Lord. I'm going to get this thing. I'm going to, I'm going to knock this thing out. And so I put in my earbuds and I play music and I'm working. I'm like, all right, things are getting done. And then from the back of the van or from across the room, I hear, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody, you know, like the sound of children being children and not sanctified yet. I start hearing that, and so my hand just goes, long press, noise canceling, and I am back to my happy place. I can now pursue the Lord. All of these kids, my wife can deal with that, right? I've got to do this. And so I'm listening, and then sometimes, sometimes that doesn't cut it. 
even in Apple's incredible technology of noise canceling, they can't overcome the sin of my own children, maybe my own wife, or maybe my own sin trying to get away and evade that situation, and I just found this out. I may be behind or I may be informing you. I can drop down on my iPhone, I can click on this little ear icon, and I can tell it to play background static noise behind the music I'm already playing as an overlap to my noise canceling. I don't know if you knew that you could do this. You can. And it's amazing, right? I put it in, music's up. All right, I'm going to be deaf at 60, but it doesn't matter. I'm getting work done. Ah, they're too loud. Long press, noise canceling. I'm back into my little cone of silence. All right, you little jerks. You're going to keep yelling. Here it comes. Background noise, static with the music, with the noise canceling. And here I am. I can finally get done what I need to get done. The problem is we are very good at tuning out wisdom. That's the problem. The problem is we hear it, we know it, we grow in it. God has written morality on our hearts. And time and time again, and you can use any illustration you want. I'm on my way over to my girlfriend's house. I'm on my way to the party. I'm on my way to the test that I haven't studied for. I'm going to this thing. I know what wisdom is calling me to do. I know the death of honesty that God is calling me to. And I just toss in my earbuds. And maybe those earbuds are Netflix or Hulu or a podcast. And then I hold on and I go into the noise canceling of social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just something to get me away from the crazy that is in my life. And then I hit the next button and all of the white noise floods in. And maybe it's a media dump like YouTube or TikTok. Maybe it's going to a game. Maybe it's even something that I convince myself is good, like working or cleaning the house. But what I'm ultimately doing is knowing I should be running after God, I should be running after wisdom, but instead I am going to find a way to tune it out. And the reason we are so good at tuning it out, the reason it upsets us when a noise is sort of hitting us that we want to get rid of is because we have trained ourselves to dissociate from things that are painful and difficult and hard and latch onto what's easy. I was at Black Friday, which is like one of my favorite stores. If you know me, you know I love this. And John and I were there two weeks ago. I almost lost my witness. It was bad. I was probably wearing a Christian shirt like I tried to. I'm in the far corner, and I'm just going through some stuff. And I'm like, Keller, do you hear that? He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, that tone. Do you hear that? And he's like, hey, yeah, 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 I hear it. And I'm like, yeah, it's horrible, right? And he's like, yeah, whatever. And like, he just goes back to his life. And, and it's like a telltale heart to me. Y'all remember Edgar Allan Poe's just like under the foot. Like the tone just seems like it's getting louder and louder. And five minutes go by and I'm just like doing life. And I, 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 I like start legitimately sweating and getting frustrated. I literally, like the way God does this stuff. I put in my AirPods. I turned on the noise canceling. And I couldn't get away from this tone. And I told John, I said, I'm about to yell in the middle of a store publicly. I'm about to just say, hey, cut your losses. Somebody's got something going on in their purse and they need to deal with it. Can everybody just agree as a group, as a society, in this place right now that this is annoying and somebody needs to do something about this? That's where I was at. Because I'm very used to being able to tune out what I want to tune out whenever I want to tune it out. But wisdom never Stops speaking, crying, and yelling, which means, and this to me is the most convicting thing of this passage, wisdom speaks so loudly 
that the only way to miss her is for you to try to. You don't have to believe me, but I'm just telling you, when I read God's word, when I read what he says about wisdom, it becomes very, very clear. For you and I to miss wisdom, to to miss the right decision, the right difficulty, the right way to handle it, we must make a choice, an active choice to miss it. Now, some of you are sitting in this room And you're saying, well, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with that, but you also told me when a difficulty or decision was present, God always makes a way out, and I have been seeking wisdom, and I can't find it. I'm in a difficult situation. I have a decision I need to make, and you're telling me that wisdom is so in my face that the only way I can miss it is to try to, and I'm telling you I am not trying to miss wisdom. I am going as hard as I can after it, and I don't know what to do. What do you do if that's you? Wisdom is loud, so why don't you hear it? Drop down to verse 23. In verse 23, we get our first little hopeful glimpse, and here's what it says. If you turn at my reproof, turn is a repentance word. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will. This is a promise narrative. I will pour out my spirit to you. Now, if you've been in churches for any amount of time, and I tell you, I'm going to give you a few ways that you can pursue wisdom, even if you're struggling to find it, you know a couple of things that are going to appear on the list. You know the Bible is going to appear on the list. You know that prayer is going to appear on the list. And then something else that kind of sounds good, and maybe I'll pick one of those to work on. I'm not putting prayer on this list, and I'm not even putting it in the order I would typically put it in because I want you to wrestle with this, the way that God's word brought it to us. If wisdom is loud, then why don't I hear it? I would say, number one, it may be because you do a very poor job of being silent and meditating. Now, there it is. I would usually call that prayer. I usually wouldn't put the term meditate up because it feels like Eastern and emotional and... Om and lights and men's like that's what meditation feels like to me. But meditation has been a practice in Christian history for millennia. It's just a word that we don't use anymore. And the reason that I'm not putting prayer up here is because most of us, when we pray, it is it's a, a, a pretty active exchange. I am going to go to a place. I am going to close my eyes. I am going to say some things. I am going to say amen, and I'm going to end my prayer. 99 times out of 100, that's what most prayers look like. What I want you to realize, what I want you to wrestle with is, what does it look like just to be still and quiet before the Lord? Psalm 4610, it's not going to appear up there. Be still and know that I am God. You tell me the active thing in that sentence. Be still, not active, and know that I am God. This isn't saying, come up with a beautiful prayer. This isn't saying, hey, how, how well do you remember the Lord's prayer? How well do you go through the Acts prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication? It's saying, be still. Think about God, who he is, what he's done, what he's done in your life. The love that he has for you, for those around you, the faithfulness that he has shown, the promises that he has kept. What does it look like just to be still and think on him? Because wisdom in this passage gives us three promises, and that's the first one. If you turn your attention to me, God's spirit will be poured out on you. And when I think of pouring, I think of Kool-Aid 
and grilled cheese sandwiches. That's what I think of. Kool-Aid, grilled cheese sandwiches, or sweet tea. That's not what this is saying. That word pour means to bubble over. It means to gush forth. I mean, just, just imagine a car driving over a fire extinguisher and the thing just erupting in water. That's the kind of word that God is using in verse 23 when he says, if you turn at my reproof, I will, not I might or one day, I will pour out my spirit. It will gush. It will bubble forth. There will be so much movement of me toward you that it will overwhelm you. And here's what I know inside of me. When something happens and I get stressed or I get anxious, I literally feel it in my body. When, when, when I get angry, when I get disappointed, when I get sad, when I get depressed, I feel it. Like in my senses, in my flesh, I feel it. And I believe what God is saying by using this word poor is he's saying, I will, if you'll just be still, if you will just come to me, I will overwhelm you with so much of myself that there won't be room for that anymore. And that's really what we see throughout all of the gospel narratives. All of the people, the Zacchaeuses, who were all about money, it's not that they barter with God. It's that that greed that exists is overflowed by a new spirit that God has given them. All of those who had anxiety and fear, they are overflowed by the goodness of God. And there's just no room inside left. In the Old Testament, we can think about the widow who was about to die. She was literally collecting some sticks to make her very last meal for she and her son. They're going to eat, I'm quoting scripture here, we're going to eat this and then we will die. And God says, I know you're in a difficulty, I know you have a decision to make, but I want you to feed my prophet instead. There's always a godly option, as impossible as the decision may be. And so she feeds him. And the prophet turns around and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go find a jar and as many empty ones as you can. And do you know what she does? Straight out of this text, she pours and she pours and she pours. And as much emptiness as she would offer, the Spirit of God filled up. And then my mind took me to the New Testament. It's like, when do we see pouring in the New Testament? And I thought of Mary, not Jesus' mom, but Mary Magdalene. And she comes to Jesus, and there, and there he is. She comes into a home that she wasn't welcome, and she doesn't open a little bottle and pour out a little ointment. She doesn't crack the top and get, she shatters it all out. It overflows, it gushes forth so much that the people in the room say, what a waste. All of this money, all of this good that you have wasted on the floor. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. She cannot out-overflow me. Every emptiness that she will find herself in, I will overwhelm. If wisdom is loud, then why aren't you hearing it? It might be because you're not being silent or still and meditating. Number two is God's word. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but it is the second thing that we see in the text. Notice this in verse 23. I will pour out my spirit on you. The second promise Turn your attention to me and God's word will be known to you. Verse 23, I will make my words known to you. I mentioned that wisdom is pretty loud. But did you notice where wisdom was loud? In the streets, in the city, at the gate. Do you know how much God wants to come near you in those spaces? That, that God and wisdom desire to be seen. They desire to be heard. The question is, how many people are going to be the Zacchaeus that sees the truth on the street and then invites it in? I, 
I believe that most of you in here are reading your Bibles. I don't, I don't know that for a fact, but I believe that you are. When I wrote this sermon, the way that I wrote it was get in God's word and then pray, like then uh, be silent and meditate. The reason I reversed them is I can't tell you how many times I crack open my Bible, I sit down, I read it, and I'm not really there. But what I find is if I force myself to be still, if I allow all of those thoughts, all of those worries, all of those concerns to have their time attacking me, if I wrestle with it and I refuse to get up until I have wrestled into submission all of these fleeting thoughts in my mind, then I can open up God's word. Then I can hear from him. The third thing that we see is this. If wisdom is loud, why don't you hear it? Silence and meditation, God's word, and then thirdly, mature community. This, to me, is probably the one that is the least exercised. And the reason that I say that is because it can be embarrassing. It can require a lot of transparency. But if you want to be a faithful believer of Christ, if you want wisdom to pour forward in your life, this is how God has engineered it. For you to realize you're not sufficient unto yourself. If you think of 1 Corinthians 12... The Bible says, some of you are hands, some of you are feet, some of you are eyes, some of you are ears, some of you are mouths, and on and on it goes. The point is, you're not self-sufficient. You need you, and you need you, and you need you, and they need them. And when we all come together, when we draw near to one another, then we can actually be the body that God has called us to be, which means, when you're dealing with that decision, when you're in that difficulty, if you don't have anybody to go to, if you have somebody to go to and you're choosing not to go to them, that is a massive problem in your pursuit of Christ. A massive problem in your pursuit of Christ. I, I was on the ultimate field years ago. And I was playing with a buddy of mine. And that was what we did. We played twice a week. And I'd just been wrestling with this big decision. Do I leave this job? It was my first job in a church. My first pastoral job. And I, I didn't know exactly what to do. I was wrestling with wisdom. I was like in my mid-twenties at the time, and I'm playing ultimate, and like I've, I went on a sabbatical. I've spent weeks trying to be silent and seeking the Lord and spending time in God's word, and, and I'm playing ultimate, and I talk with a, a buddy of mine who's a Christian, and two things about this guy. He was wiser than I am, and I knew he would be honest with me. If you're like, yeah, well, I've got good Christian community, but you're going to people who are not wiser than you, you're wasting your time. If you're going to people who are wiser than you, but they're not going to be honest with you, you are wasting your time. But if those two ingredients are there, and if you're willing to listen, I went to this guy, and he said, well, I, I really think you're overcomplicating this. I said, like, what are you talking about? He said, you're in the fog of war, man. You're in that, like, cartoon dust cloud with arms and feet poking out of the thing. You just can't see clearly. I'm just telling you, it's not really that complicated. Here's what God's word says. Here's what I would encourage you to do, and he was absolutely right. I spent weeks and weeks and did not go to Christian community. And then finally, I would say this, because if you get there and you're still unsure, I think there's only one step left for you, and that is this. Be expectantly patient. Expectantly patient. If you've ever worked on a, a small gas engine that isn't working, it is always the same reason. It's the carburetor. That is... The only reason small engines, okay, I, I, I'm seeing some of my people here. There's only one, you either didn't put gas in it, dummy, or it is the carburetor, 100%. And we were trying to rebuild and deal with some go-karts years and years ago, and I'd get it running, and my kids would, you know, do a few laps, and then we'd park it for two weeks, and I'd spend like eight hours just trying to get that little thing, enough oxygen, enough air, uh, enough fuel, and a spark. The Christian life, 
is meant to live in a place of expectant patience. What I mean by that is this. You fully expect God to work and give you everything that you need. He is a good parent. Every one of these parents is trying to be a good parent. And that kid that they are holding, that we are praying over, should have two things that are going on in their heart. I expect to be fed. I expect to be changed, but I may have to be patient to do it. They may want to feed me, but I'm in the back seat and it's just not going to happen right now. I just got a clean diaper and I have already ruined the thing and they're not going to figure it out for a half an hour. From the moment we come into this world, God is putting in front of our eyes, you're going to need to be expectantly patient. And what that ultimately means is this. God has you where he has you for the reason that he has you there, which means you can be silent and you can meditate and you can get into God's word. You can even go to godly community and say, speak into my life because I may not have 20-20 vision on it. And sometimes God will say, It's not time for this difficulty to end. I love you too much to pull you out early. You're not ready for that. The goal of the engine of the Christian heart is to have enough fuel in it so that we stay running, we don't choke out. But the expectation is never that we have our foot on the gas 24-7. We are on and we are ready the moment the Spirit of God says, go to that person and pray for them. Go to this missionary and help them. Go support this child. Go serve in this way. But most of the time, we're just as we wait for God to point. But there's one more promise that we can't miss. And if the big bucket of water has an alarm, the final chime is sounding as we read these verses in verse 24. But because I have called and you refuse to listen, I've stretched out my hand And no one is heeded because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I will laugh at your calamity. Struggle with this. That God in his word is saying, I will laugh at your calamity. Struggle with that. Struggle that it goes on and says, I will mock when terror strikes you. Go ahead. Let it wrestle. Is that who God really is? That is not what my Sunday school teacher taught me. I never saw that on a flannel board. I never saw that on a YouTube video. I never saw something bad happening to somebody and God snickering and laughing and pointing and sneering. I don't see that. And yet here we have God's word. And he doesn't even stop there. Verse 27. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, God laughs. Does this mean that God delights in the calamity of the wicked? I would say absolutely not. And I'll tell you why. It's 2 Peter 3, but then I'm going to have to explain it because we just read this. And it's like, well, what does it mean? 2 Peter 3 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. God doesn't want anyone to perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's God's heart. That's God's desire. But don't miss the next verse. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens are going to pass away with a roar. You see, two things can be true at the same time. God can desire that sin be atoned for and dealt with 
And he can recognize that some people are never going to turn and respond. And in this text, we have this sort of massive wrestling that we have to do. And you can't understand it if you don't realize that you had to tell wisdom. You didn't want anything to do with it first. That's why we started there. Wisdom is so loud that you have to choose not to hear her. When I was in middle school, there was a punk whose name was Justin. He is not in this room. I am not being cute. I am not being coy. The dude was just trouble. He was a punk. He was constantly in trouble. And I remember one day, I I was standing out in the hallway, and I was just old enough to care about girls, but not old enough to do anything about it. You know where I'm at right now? All right? And I'm standing in the hallway, and I'm leaning on the wall. Right, And I've got my feet way out. i got my backpack on. And I'm just leaning on the wall. And this kid walks up and sweeps my legs out from under me. My head hits the wall like a hundred times on the way down. Because it was one of those concrete walls with the little, you know, the little lines in them. So it was like crick, 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 going all the way down. I fall in front of my entire class. Everybody starts laughing. All because this dude was just an absolute punk of an individual. I don't know if he's returned Like, I don't know if his heart's right with the Lord. I don't know if he'll ever hear this sermon. I'm intentionally not using his last name. All right? Did not like this kid. Full disclosure, I rolled his house later, but that is neither here nor there, and I've repented of it since. It's true. In that moment, I was filled with so many things. I was embarrassed. I was humiliated. I I, I was angry. When we expect our ignoring of God, our mocking of God as we live our own lives as though he never created us or had a concern for us in the world or went to great sacrifice to make a way for us to be in a right relationship with him. When we mock him, disregard him, and disrespect him, can I tell you I have never forgotten that 30 years later? God feels more than I will ever feel. He sees more than I will ever see. He remembers every trespass I have committed against his holiness. And it would be wrong for him to ignore my sin. The best thing that can happen when you sin or I sin is exactly what 2 Peter says. That we repent and God is happy and God is glorified and the sacrifice of Christ is given more worth to because we're responding to it and our lives are changed and I'm forgiven of my sin. I don't have any condemnation. I don't have any of that and I can walk in newness of life. That is the best path and it's available to every one of you tonight for any sin that you've committed. But for us to say that it would be better for God to be treated with disdain and just deal with it is not just anti-biblical, it is anti-you. You would never do that. And you are created in that very same image. And when God has, from your first breath to your last, been speaking wisdom into a world, the conscience that has been given to you so that you would know right from wrong and we ignore it, It makes sense for God to be angry. And that's what we see as we close out this passage. Look at verse 28. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. But but God, what about all the seeking you will find? Knock and the door will be open. This seems like the opposite of that. Continue on, verse 29. Because they hated knowledge. 
did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat of the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Can I tell you when I read this, there's one picture that comes to mind. This old guy building a really, really big boat. And as Noah is sitting there, and God says, hey man, there's an alarm going off. In a little bit, the heavens are going to open up. And if you aren't trusting in me, if you aren't leaning into me, if you aren't giving all of your trust to me, you are going to be swept away with the rest of humanity. Do you you see how the flood appears in this? In verse 27, here's what we see. When terror strikes you like a storm, when distress and anguish come upon you. Noah's sitting there and he's building a boat and building a boat and the storm's brewing. The storm's building, but it isn't anything yet. And then all of a sudden, the first drop falls. The second drop falls. The first puddle is formed. And now all of the people that he had spent years warning are in distress and anguish. Verse 28. Then they will call. The reason this isn't God saying, I'm not going to honor my word, that if you knock, the door will open. If you seek, you will find. Is this isn't talking about people saying, you know what? I haven't been living my life for the Lord. I, I really need to give my heart to Christ. I need to ask for the forgiveness of my sins. That's not what's happening. What's happening here in verse 28 is it's saying, then they call. After, it's long, after it has been long past the time to do so, the rain is falling. The doors have closed. So what do they get in verse 31? The fruit of their own way and their own devices. Every sin that you commit drips and drips and drips. Not one missed, not one ignored by God. Buckets of it. They fill and they fill and they fill. And they hang over our head. And like a kid at a water park, we don't know when that thing's going to tip. We assume I've got 60, 70, 80, 90 years and that bucket is not going to fall. It's not going to turn over anytime soon. Can I just tell you, last night I was talking and praying with my mom because her friend's life was taken like that or seems like it's going to be taken. And we are pleading that the last moment of her life has not gone, that the bucket hasn't turned out. But God tells us it will pour out. Because God doesn't forget when we ignore him or mock him or disrespect him or hate him. And like a thunderstorm, God will rain on your sin forever. Well, that's not a very encouraging message. Oh, it's an honest one. It's the truth. And if our Bible stopped there, God wouldn't be wrong. But out of his love and out of his grace, we happen upon Proverbs 133, the last passage. I'll tell you, when, when I think of this and God has my attention, I'll tell you what my heart longs for. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure. They will be at ease without dread of disaster. You may be sitting in this room and thinking, I I don't know if I'm right with the Lord. I don't know if I need to become a Christian. And I would just encourage you, I'll be over there. Tiffany will be over there. And we will pray for you when we all stand up and start singing to God of his incredible grace. I would love to pray that with you. But if you're a Christian, and I know that most of you in this room are, just notice that word before security. That God's expectation 
as you draw near to him is that you would dwell secure. That day in and day out, there would be security. And I'll tell you how that works. You see, when the alarm goes off and your life ends, every sin is built up in that bucket and it pours out and it begins coming down. And like a kid underneath it, you see it coming for you. But for those who are in Christ, something incredible happens. You see, Jesus was the guy who would walk near the sickest of people, contagious, disease-ridden, every piece of that disease and every piece of sweat on their brow, and he would touch them, and they would become healthy, and he would remain fine. Jesus was the guy who would walk up to the starving people whose stomachs he could audibly heal, bones and gauntness that he could see, and he would feed them, and he would fill them, and he still had plenty more. He would go to the greedy who were clenching their fists and he would offer them the kingdom of God. He would go to the educated with their sharp tongues and he would give them words of life. And the reason that he did that was because his goal was always to be the one standing under the bucket. His goal was always to be the one that when the alarm sounds and the wrath of God pours out, he stands there and he takes it and he takes it and he takes it and he doesn't miss one drop. And what's incredible, just like the guys that he healed, just like the people whose lives he changed, all this wrath of God hits him. And what makes it past him to us is grace. We don't get one ounce of judgment, not one bit of punishment. Instead, all of the wrath that he takes turns into blessing and honor and glory as he bears it and looks to you and I and any who are trusting in him and says... This is why I died, so that you would dwell secure, so that you would be at ease and without dread of disaster. The three questions that wisdom asked at the beginning were the very things that people did to Christ. They simply ignored him and his miracles, and maybe you've been ignoring him, or maybe there's a piece of your life that you've been ignoring. They mocked him, they beat him, they disrespected him, and they hated him enough to kill him. But he's still offering grace to any who want it. Do you need that kind of grace? If you're an unbeliever, I, I'm just telling you, man, I, I want to pray with you. I want to hear about your life. I want to tell you about this incredible work that Christ does every single day. And Christian, if you aren't dwelling secure... If you don't have that kind of a peace, you are one prayer away. You are one ask away from the God who gives us everything that we need. Stand with me if you would. And let me pray over us as the worship team comes back. Father, I am so grateful that your word says, whoever listens to me will dwell secure. Father, I'll be honest, there are a lot of times in my life where I don't feel secure. There are a lot of times in my life where I don't feel at ease. There are a lot of times in my life where I am eaten up with dread. And I am so grateful that because of the sacrifice of Christ, that he took the buckets of wrath that I deserve. So that every day, tomorrow, the next Tuesday, and a hundred years from now, however long you see fit for me to live, I can rest under the shadow of the cross of Christ. And everything that would have been punishment to me is only blessing and grace. Father, may that be the kind of life that we realize we have been handed through Christ. May that cause us to have confidence. May it cause us to sing out these great realities of who you are. 
You are abundantly good to people who have been abundantly bad. And you have not stopped. And you will not stop until our lives end or until you return. Father, may we worship you as people who have received great things at the hand of a good and loving Father. In Christ's name.